It's been a little bit of a hiatus because life has been cruel and I've had to move and there's been all sorts of stuff, but we're back with a few things that we want to talk about. Namely, we want to talk about how the media is trash. That's right. I mean, not entirely. Like we're going to talk about a few different uh, topics on that on that mega topic. One day we should do a, a, a huge media rundown, though. But that's coming, I feel like. That's on its way. Yeah, totally. But, you know, we have a, a number of subtopics that we want to talk about. And um, we, as we were planning this, we just thought, oh, man, all these things have had a weird and interesting run in the media. So let's start with financial literacy. The Ontario government has recently announced that they are going to implement a financial literacy curriculum in high schools, some sort of you know, financial, I don't know, awareness, whatever. Like, they're going to just ma- make sure that kids know finances? I don't understand. And, of course, in the media, this is being spun as such a wonderful thing. Can't get any better than kids knowing <laughs> about finance, right, Nora? Yeah, like learning about math <laughs> and how to add and how they're the sole reason why they're poor. but also learning like the dollar sign and a decimal i don't know like what is what is a financial like i i need people to like break this down a little bit because i'm seeing people saying that this is such a good thing finally finally like you know it's so wonderful that kids are going to be learning this stuff kids need this stuff this is long overdue and i'm like really what is the problem that we're seeking to solve here what is the what is the problem in youth or that we've had over time that is being solved right now with a financial literacy curriculum? Is it the case that people don't know how to do math? Math? Adding, mm-hmm. subtracting, multiplying their household finances by zero? <laughs> you know, it's just liberal guilt. This is an expression of liberal guilt. but i'm just like i'm wondering like okay so tell me how liberal guilt is solved please so we've got a liberal party that has created the economic reality where household debt is uh, at crisis levels it's at record Mm, levels interesting we have a liberal party that has also increased tuition fees to record levels Mm -hmm. they have overseen the transformation of a housing market that is impossible to access for so many people they have overseen prices go up in rents in public transit Uh, everyone has a car now so you've got car payments Mm -hmm. maybe a new car and so all of these are the result of liberal policy Mm -hmm. this policy is their fault and rather than addressing it from the root cause they are simply trying to say, actually, it's your fault. Which is, which is like, what is that going to look like? Okay, so we're going to teach kids about what? Mortgage? Mortgage is in grade 10? <laughs> and is that mortgage education going to be the same in Thunder Bay to Ottawa to Toronto to Windsor? Is it going to be the same? Like, let's just talk about Toronto for a second. Is it going to be the same in Malvern and Forest Hill? No, I just, of course not. I just, (laughs) but it's 
just like, what, what, so the idea here is what? That, you know, uh, people in Malvern or, or wherever are just need more financial literacy and then they'll be fine like they'll be able to overcome the capitalist system that is premised no, on more people not. being it's... poor than rich <laughs> like i just the whole system it'll be about how to find the proper financial plan <laughs> yeah i i just can't imagine looking at the current curriculum and thinking hmm what is it that students need to learn? They're not learning how to add properly in grade two. And then they're not learning how to take a balance sheet and, you know, add one side and add the other side. And at the end of the addition, if you have money left over, you're rich. And if you don't, then you didn't know how to add properly <laughs> as if that's the core <laughs> of the problems of the system, which it's obviously not. There's, there are other things that absolutely need to be added to the curriculum. History. Yeah. History. Yeah. Can we can we get some fucking history in here? <laughs> like, I just don't I don't understand. Like you look at the Ontario curriculum and you're just like, okay, there's a couple things mis- missing. History and geography doesn't really play a really big role. We should maybe do something about that. People are like, more math, financial <laughs> literacy. What the fuck? Like, what are these people thinking? Well, it's not even as if this is good curriculum. Like the curriculum has already been changed from the double cohort to make the math curriculum easier Um, but it's a total distraction like we know it's a distraction they know it's a distraction but they think that no one is going to actually call them on it and when no one calls them on it they get to stand up and say look at all the good work we're doing to stop uh, people from entering into poverty that's right as -hmm. if this has anything to do with that it just it just blows it just it blows the mind it also um it kind of I know this we we didn't talk about talking about this piece but it 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 reminds me of um another story that came out this week that in Chicago schools uh they're implementing a a new measure saying that and you know this has also been getting some good media play that you will not receive your high school diploma unless you can prove that you have gotten a job that you have gotten into college or that you've signed up for the military yeah, so it's so it's not actually good enough to have finished high school. You also have to demonstrate to the system how you will be a useful cog. And if you are not able to demonstrate that, then what? You're undeserving of a high school diploma? It's also just interesting in uh in, you know, how we think about the value of certain types of labor, like, you know, obviously people who stay at home uh, after school or uh, who want to maybe have kids and stay at home and work at home uh, are undeserving of their academic achievement being realized because that doesn't fall into having a job, having going into the military, going to college, that type of work. It's just not good enough for these types of things. It also makes you wonder who are the students that are going to finish high school that aren't going to go on to college for systemic reasons or that aren't able to access the labor market for systemic reasons. It seems to me that this is just pushing the students who are already marginalized into the most obvious path, which is the military. Yeah, it's a military recruiting strategy is what it seems like. But anyway, back to financial literacy. This is basically like, you know, this is something that the government has been trying to do for years. Actually, this is not new. It rears its head every once in a while. And just to put a finer point on it, if we didn't make it obvious earlier, it's like 
you know, this is, you, if you've been foiled by this, I'm sorry, but this is really shitty policy. Yeah. Financial literacy, the idea that people need financial literacy is a way to blame people who simply won't have access to certain uh, financial benefits simply because they don't have the means in the first place to blame that on them. So what I mean, for example, is, you know, uh, in a different lifetime, Nora and I went to a financial literacy seminar to just be like, what the fuck is the government talking about? And they're sitting there being like, you know, these kids, they don't know that they can, you know, their parents, they don't know about registered education savings plans. And if we just had a literacy situation where we could sit down and teach them, like, here are your options, you can apply for a registered education savings plan. And maybe that's what they intend to do in this program. Maybe they intend to tell, tell these kids about RSPs. You know, be responsible, get an RSP, set some money aside. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If all your options for employment are casual labor, precarious labor, if you're making minimum wage and you don't have money to put aside, it doesn't matter that you have an RSP. It doesn't matter that you know about some tax credits. It doesn't matter that you know how to fill out your taxes, which, you know, somebody was suggesting that maybe that's what they're going to teach them. It's like, what? Okay, so the Ontario government's like, their plan is to like, fuck H&R Block. Like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, that's not, none of that is going to assist somebody who is poor and can't put that money away anyway, because they're just getting by. Yeah, like, you used to make the point quite frequently when we would meet with these politicians about how poor people are not actually the ones that need financial literacy, that to survive on very little money and to survive in the face of systemic oppression takes a lot of cleverness and takes a lot of ability to manage your finances, actually. And so this is perpetuating stereotypes that help to justify policies that, when implemented, are racist, are certainly classist, uh, are, are gendered, and are colonial, actually. To, to teach someone how to properly fit into the capitalist society, to teach them that they should be putting away in their private pension because their hope of having a public pension has vanished, that is helping to transform society in a way that um, that I'm not sure that Canadians are really appreciating. I think it's one of these things that you look back on, you say, oh, we, we used to have public pensions, but now it's been replaced by financial curriculum in grade 10 uh, that has told you that no matter what, it is important for you to put uh, money into a TFSA uh, as if you could even afford that. It's just stupid. <laughs> it's just stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it just and, and it also begs the question of what type of you know if you if you live you know in a mixed income area what kind of conversations does that lead to does does do these kids start to learn then that some of you are going to be able to have a leisure life and some of you are never going to be able to have fun in your lives ever at all because that's irresponsible and that's what this this is financial literacy for us you need to work as hard as you can put it all away oh such and such you had an inheritance. No, you're going to be good. Here's some, you know, stock options for you and your family. <laughs> I just don't understand what this curriculum is going to look like. It just doesn't, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I can be proven wrong, but I won't be because I'm not. No. And it's it's like day one. Uh, okay. Everyone over who's got um, like a trust fund, you folks can go to see Miss Smith in the library and uh, she'll introduce you to what? I don't know, your financial planner? It's ridiculous. <laughs> One of the questions that I have is how is it that this is being broadly reported as a good thing? 
Like, is there no critical thinking capacity among journalists to question whether or not this is uh, a good use of resources, uh, going to actually address uh, problems like not enough uh, housing that's accessible to average people or not enough um, access to uh, services and programs uh, to save for your retirement or to be able to pay for your childcare? It seems to me that what we've got here is... uh, is a confluence of, uh, you know, a public public crisis with uh, the state of finances and the state of private or household debt, or private finances, and uh, the liberals obviously trying to do what they can to make it make themselves feel better. And I'm I'm wondering, like, why not bring in a cop <laughs> to ta- to to teach these students about how to manage their money? I don't know if that snort came through very well. <laughs> <laughs> the audio recording and we'll see but um oh my god Nora <laughs> this debate is so stupid it's so stupid there's just been you know there we've got cops in schools we've got cops in schools a lot of people don't know about that like they think that that's something that is um only in the states doesn't happen in Canada it's one of those like Canada myths that Canada doesn't have anything like that um but you know as we've you know I've through BLM Black Lives Matter Toronto been doing some work on school resource office officers or special resource officers which is cops in schools cops in schools (laughs) and it's just outrageous to hear the ways that this is talked about as a good program I I you know I can't fathom the way that some journalists respond to it the way that people who would never ever have had to think about this before in their lives the knee-jerk reaction to it is this is good and must be good uh, for people who are in priority neighborhoods i put that with a healthy scare quote around it so I don't know. Have you have you been watching any of the coverage of this? Like, what, what's that? What's that uh, look like to you out in uh, Quebec City? Well, it hasn't. It's not like it's made national news. And so my entry to understanding this issue is actually that I went to schools that did ha- also have uh, cops in them. Um, they didn't. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't have cops in the city. Do they go to teachers' college first? <laughs> no, I mean like fully uniformed police officers. Um, in, in the first experience that I had with this was in grade six and they brought police into our classroom in uniform with their gun to, uh, teach us about, uh, drugs, uh, not how to use them or sell them, but how to (laughs) avoid them. The second experience that I had with it was in high school where we also had a police officer assigned to our, uh, to our school and it was a uniformed police officer. And I, and I have no idea what the purpose of the program was. We had, uh, we often had situations where there were lockdowns, um, and, and drug sniffing dogs were put throughout our, 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 our corridors. We were locked in our classrooms while they searched through our locked lockers. And, um, you know, did it, did it improve anything? Uh, no, like, you know, people still obviously did drugs. You know, there's often a, a, a line that comes with um, people justifying police presence in anything uh, or even justifying police 
at all uh, that uh, kind of marginalizes the bad acti- bad behavior, the bad activities of, of some police officers while upholding the uh, good behavior of other police officers. When you have a schooling situation, if you have a single police officer single out a student to Canada Border Services Agency, for example, um, and they have repercussions to their personal safety because their immigration status has been signaled to the state, mm-hmm. No amount of good police officers undoes the damage that that one bad officer might have done. Absolutely. And some of the things, you know, we went to this, uh, there was a debate of the Toronto Police Services Board where, you know, there there was a debate around whether or not there should be cops in schools. It was really interesting because the police officers had clearly, um, collaborated with the, uh, the, the Toronto Catholic District School Board to get a bunch of uh, teachers and kids into the room um, in violation of like a field trip policy uh, to to kind of fill up the room so that the concerned parents and 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 people in the community who wanted to be there couldn't get into the room. And some of the things that we we would hear was you know these police officers are so wonderful because you know they do they do pizza parties they they help to, to coach hockey they're they're wonderful people but the people who were there to say i have a concern about this because uh, I have been harassed by police in schools. I am a parent who did not give consent to this, and I had no idea this was happening, and what the heck. Uh, there were teachers who were saying, like, you know, these people are trained for two days and actually don't know how to interact with our kids, and this is a problem. There was a representative council, the Toronto um, the Toronto Youth Cabinet, who was like, uh, we do not like this. You know, there are kids who are afraid to come forward and talk about their experiences because uh, it's the police. I thought what was really interesting was there was even these discussions from uh, from some of the planted kids who where the discussion was actually so obviously concerning and no one on the council on the Toronto Police Services Board would interrogate some of the concerning things that they'd heard. So the, the, the most concerning story was of uh, someone who was describing a situation of a a young girl who was having some issues at home and a police officer invites that girl into his home to take care of her because they weren't they were not being supported at home or they were in a, a, a perhaps abusive environment now could you imagine a teacher so the the student is is at the table and saying that this was a this is a good thing that happened thank goodness that this happened because you know this person wouldn't have been able to uh, to transition um, uh, in a supportive environment. Okay. Um, no one asked questions about that. There was clearly, like, there was a weird hush in the audience. Some people were like, ooh, hmm, that, hmm. Here's what we're hearing, right? Like, we're hearing some things about how police officers are not trained to, to, to interact with kids, that... There was a lawyer who came by who was saying that, you know, they were targeting black children. He knows about it because he's representing black children in cases and uh, that nobody wants to do anything about it. And everyone's like, but you know what? They throw pizza parties. 
guys like this is really wonderful and talking about it as though it's a universal program right like they're saying this is wonderful because police throw pizza parties support sports in schools support extracurricular activities and it's like that would be wonderful if it if you're talking about a universal program in which this is something that the society has decided that we need but it's not a universal program it's a targeted program and it's targeted for particular kids in particular areas if you are telling me what we need is pizza parties and what we need is more support for sports in schools. Well, I will tell you that I think it would be wonderful if we had maybe more adults in the schools, like perhaps more teachers who are, you know, able to do that type of thing. We should support more teachers being hired, maybe more adults in the community being hired who are properly trained to do this type of stuff. I don't understand why we need to have police officers who are in full uniform with their guns who target students who question students. We heard about uh, police officers questioning students without adults being around. Why do we need that in order to have pizza parties and basketball teams? Yeah, it's almost as if the media, by and large, uh, is comprised of journalists who've never had negative interactions with police. And of course, that's going to influence the kind of coverage that they give to issues that relate to police. We're, we're seeing this as well with discussions about police in Pride, uh, various Pride uh, celebrations across Canada. It makes me think of um, the way that journalists responded to uh, the parade for St. Jean-Baptiste Day in Montreal, where a video came out of the first float, uh, and this was replicated again throughout the parade, where you had a woman who was dressed in white, who was white, surrounded by white uh, choralists all singing, all dressed in white, and the, 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 the main woman was being pulled by four black youth. And uh, in subsequent floats, it wasn't just black youth, it was racialized youth. Uh, you know, it, what, what ensued was uh, a collective grappling within the press, uh, and I mostly listen to English press, so my, my opinion's kind of skewed by that. But a collective grappling with uh, what happens when something goes from being a, an acute expression of racism, like a racist act, to systemic racism. And so uh, once, once it came out that these, that these students were in the parade pulling the floats as a fundraiser for their sports teams, oh, it's made so much more clear now that these are students in schools that don't have the kind of funding necessary to make sure that they have sports. And so they have to fundraise. And therefore, here is the fundraising solution. They will pull along floats in a parade. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, to, to bring it back to that media angle, we have journalists who, who would ask us, like, but surely you understand that some people are really supportive of this program. Like, really? Who are we talking about? Who has sat down one day and said, you know what's a really great program? The Cops in Schools program. No one even asked for the Cops in Schools program. No one really knows how it came to be. Uh, there was there was like an investigation into a number of different things that needed to change uh, in schools. And this was not one of the recommendations, but it ended up happening. And, you know, it, nobody is actually talking about this as a, as a positive program, they're only talking about it as a positive program when it's brought up as something that should be investigated, when it's brought up as something that people do not see as positive. And someone's like, but I think it is positive. Well, why do you think it's positive? Because there's pizza parties. So sorry, you support pizza parties in schools? 
that's what you support. What you support is pizza parties and, and sports and whatever. You don't support police in schools. You haven't even fucking thought about it. The only people who have to think about it are the people who are being screwed over by it. And I am really disappointed that journalists aren't taught these kind of critical skills so that they can do a story in a way that recognizes that. That, yeah, you don't see a problem with this, so you're asking the wrong fucking questions. It also makes me think about a recent uh, situation outside of the Toronto Public Library after a celebration was had for a a lawyer who defended neo-Nazis or something. Uh, CP24, as reported by Jonathan Goldsby, who is now at Canada Land, CP24 featured a a Holocaust denier. And for five minutes, they were allowed to talk about denying the Holocaust. Like, have we gone so far from knowing anything about systemic racism? What are the classical markers of racism? Examples of that. uh, Let alone, of course, emerging kind of analyses that, that activist communities are putting forward for us to consider. Like, how is it that for five minutes someone can go on CP24 in Toronto and deny the Holocaust? For five minutes. Nobody gets on air for five minutes. Like, what do you mean? Oh, God. Yeah, that, I mean, there's there's another situation, you know, like the, the rise of um, overt white supremacist organizing across the world, but like very much alive and well here in Canada. You know, it, it makes me really concerned watching the way the media has covered this stuff about whether or not our media is equipped to cover this stuff. I am not convinced that they are. And that makes me nervous about how successful that organizing can and perhaps will be. And actually has been already, right? Um, You know, the fact that there is a neo-Nazi event happening at a public library in Toronto, and it has been covered by media, and yet there hasn't been some sort of reaction in a way that, you know, like this is how this is why this is happening, or maybe this shouldn't be happening or something, is really concerning to me. It makes me wonder how the media is or is not um, properly or effectively or ineffectively speaking to the public, influencing the public. You know, it just, we're at at a deficit of a real media that's able to critically engage with these issues. Until our... Until our media actually reflects the experiences of Canadians and uh, the, the current white status quo is upset, we will not be able to contend with this stuff. We yeah. will continue to see mistakes being made on air, uh, networks having to apologize or make clarifying statements. We will continue to see uh, extreme positions propped up as being totally normal because This is coming from a group of people who have a very specific relationship with the state. And that that relationship is that they are told that they are the most normal, the most upstanding, or the most enlightened segment of society. And anyone that has a problem with the state must have an individual problem. This goes back to the the discussion about liberal curriculum in in financial decision-making, right? It's like, no, the deck is stacked against certain people, and unless media allows... Uh, access to journalism jobs, editor jobs, uh, publisher jobs to people who aren't of the white status quo, 
the press will continue to make these mistakes and continue to uphold uh, a status quo white supremacy that has that that has marked and, and characterized Canadian media since in, since its inception. Oh my god. Yeah, I um I have a perhaps one one more uh, story of like things that have happened uh, with respect to the media and media not being able to to cover these things uh, to talk about that we maybe should close on. So you know there was a police killing of uh, Pierre Coriolan in Montreal uh, shortly after the end of the coroner's inquest into the to the police killing of Andrew Loku. Here in Toronto and Pierre Coriolan being in Montreal. And um, <clears throat> shortly after that, uh, an organization called Across Boundaries, which is an, uh, an organization that su- supports people, uh, racialized folks who, uh, who have mental health needs, who was working with Andrew Loku, had a press conference about the end of the coroner's inquest and uh, what the recommendations were. Um, they invited Black Lives Matter to come and talk at at the inquest, recognizing that, you know, we did a lot of work with this. But, you know, this was their press conference. They talked about how they felt about the recommendations, which was, you know, happy to see a coroner's inquest for the first time recognize anti-black racism, but uh, unhappy that a coroner's inquest doesn't really do much to change the system. Folks from Black Lives Matter spoke, including myself, to, to talk about our own thoughts about that process. And then there's a reporter, his name is Jean-Philippe Nadeau. He is with Radio Canada. <laughs> he says, you know, after the press conference, he goes, I have some questions, but I want to speak to her, points at me, because you spoke so well. You just spoke so well, and you, you seem to be very articulate. I was like, mm, okay. I know what that means, coming from a white person. So so I go up to the mic, and then he proceeds to say, I don't think you actually understand how the system works, because a coroner's inquest isn't meant to solve problems. You know, it's it's an investigation into a death. Did, like, did you know that? Have you thought about maybe focusing on a target that makes sense, like the Special Investigations Unit? Have you thought about that? Like, it just seems like your organization doesn't really know what's going on. No, come on. So a few things obviously happening here. This is a journalist who has not done their research, who has come here, said, you speak really well. I only want to speak to you, even though it's not your press conference. I want to speak to you in particular. I'm going to tell you that I think you speak well. And then I'm going to say that you don't know what the fuck you're doing. So, you know, I handled it well or whatever. I just, you know, answered the question. Uh, But one of my team members, uh, you know, I said, you know, something like coroner's inquests. Yeah, I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm not attacking coroner's inquests. I'm saying that they're they're part of a, a system that is ill-equipped to deal with these issues. And one of my team members, Raven Wings, goes up and says, I, I just need to confront something else that you did, which is that you called my teammate here articulate and well-spoken and then proceeded to try to tear down everything that she said. And I just want to let you know that that was inappropriate. And then he was like, I am not a racist. <laughs> Raven's like, Raven's like I, I did not say that you were. What I'm telling you is that this is an inappropriate thing to do to a black woman in, in this type of thing. And it, it is, you know, in a racist society, something that we see a lot. But I'm not saying that you're racist. I'm just saying that it's inappropriate. And then he was like, I, I am shocked. I don't know what I, I, I feel very, I'm very shocked that this is happening. You know, I, I'm from Africa. I am from Burundi in Africa. I, I don't know what to like. This is this is just so shocking. We're like, okay, this is weird. (laughs) 
He has no further questions for anybody else. And then he goes to the direct, the executive director of Across Boundaries afterwards and says, I will not be covering this story because I am so offended by the way that I was treated here today that I cannot cover this story. And that's how it ends. Completely ill-equipped. Like he came in there not knowing anything, not knowing who he was speaking to. Uh, and then when told, hey, you kind of, you kind of can't do that, then says, you, how dare you? I will never cover this again. <laughs> it, was, it was shocking and, uh, and outrageous. And it's like, well, one, CBC, you got to do better on a whole bunch of fronts. And we could talk about that. Um, my God, like you cannot be that ill-equipped to deal with these issues. Well, it's not even just a question of being ill-equipped. It's it's a question of, of, of not actually being qualified for the job that you have. Like, we Canadians, uh, people that live in this country, uh, you know, people who live here without status, people who have status, we all rely on journalists to do their jobs. And if they're showing up at press conferences and scolding organizers of the press conference because one of the of the speakers at the front of the room uh, said something that they didn't like, uh, insulted them or hurt their feelings, like, give me a break. Uh, these are issues that are absolutely critical. And uh, you're supposed to leave your feelings at the door. Uh, last time I checked, you're not supposed to get so involved in the story that you cannot believe how someone treated you. You know, this makes me think of the press conference uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago where Jocelyn Wagano-Yatel and, and Sophie McEwen uh, responded to a question from CBC journalist Julie Van Dusen. Yes. Uh, where yes. they called her a white lady and uh, white journalists like lost their minds somehow because like it's like, I don't know, Van Dusen's white. So I'm not actually sure what the insult was. Van Dusen was questioning them. As if they were politicians, like she was being disrespectful towards them, demanding a line of reasoning that these that these women were not interested in going down. It's, you know, their right to to call things out. That's their job. And the journalist's job is to ask questions and not to not to force them to agree that. Uh, well, at least Stephen Harper is is the worse one than Trudeau, and at least now we've got Justin Trudeau. It's like, first of all, a no measure is that even true, unless you're part of a of a media establishment that has its in it has it in its collective head that liberalism is the most important thing above all, and it doesn't matter if it continues to perpetuate injustice. But to see on display such uh, smug white supremacy and and then the pile-on from white journalists right after is just so indicative of the problems that continue to exist and that go unaddressed within the national yeah. media landscape. Yeah, and it was just, it was so clear why that was offensive. Like, I don't care, like, all these reports that came after came out afterwards that were just like, you know, indigenous woman calls reporter white. It's like, yeah, okay, so she was being fucking accurate. Yeah, like, that's not news. What is news, kind of, is that this journalist was so fucking disrespectful, and are we just going to ignore that? It was, like, the way that the question was asked was disrespectful. Everything that happened afterwards to be like, there's nothing wrong with this, I'll ask the question again, was disrespectful. And, you know, like, fuck, I... 
Jesus Christ, like, I just, it's just so outrageous, and the stories that came out afterwards were outrageous, and it's just like, the the media in this country is ill-equipped to cover some of the most important issues that are going on. The most important issues. The most important issues, yeah, yeah, no doubt. This is going to keep happening. We are going to continue to see these examples of where journalists are ill-equipped to be able to report on this stuff, whether it's report fairly or report at all, uh, we are going to continue to see apologies or statements being forced to be made or someone like Gavin McInnes being invited to talk about Cornwallis and an invented racist history without actually being called out on national television. Like, this is going to continue to happen. And as it continues to happen, people are going to get more and more disenfranchised from what they see as a media that doesn't either reflect them, doesn't respect them, uh, doesn't understand their issues. Like when you're on the outside of this stuff, it is so painfully obvious just how uh, out of touch or incorrect so much of the media establishment is. And uh, in this period that we are currently in, where there's discomfort around being called out, uh, being <laughs> being told that you're white, <laughs> like, sorry, white people, that's true. <laughs> uh, we have to get over this because it's annoying. Uh, it takes up a lot of space. It takes up a lot of time. And it's, and it's happening at the expense of critical coverage that needs to happen to shine the light on things that are happening in uh, whether it's in Thunder Bay, whether it's in Regina, whether it's in downtown Toronto or in Brampton or wherever. We have to stop perpetuating this stuff. Yeah. But you also need to be you also need to be fucking self-aware. Like you are a white woman. Like you are on on land that is not yours. And you are coming to people fucking with some serious disrespect and asking a question that you don't even know what the meaning of it is. Yeah, it's the height it's the height of disrespect. It's the height of the maintenance of white supremacy within our within our mainstream press. Exactly. And all that is to say is that the media is really white in this country and that needs to change too. <laughs> yeah. And that was just also accurate in case anybody was wondering. Mm-hmm.